As mentioned a couple of times already this morning, yesterday was the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks that resulted in the death of 2,973 people, the injury of more than 6,000 other people, civilians and firefighters, law enforcement officers, military personnel. People died at the World Trade Center and at the Pentagon and in a field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. I'd like to do something a little different this morning. I'd like to have a minute of silence as we remember, but also to pray for the family and friends and those uh, who relate uh, or are related to uh, those who died in that terrible tragedy. And pray for this country in our time of silence. Pray that that God will preserve and protect and that we never go through anything like this again. Would you pray with me? And would you observe this moment of silence? Heavenly Father, we remember those who were lost on 9-11 20 years ago yesterday. And Lord, we know that your heart is grieved by that loss, that you were there, present with all these people when this time happened. Bring your comfort to the families and friends of the lost, to this nation, to the people of more than 90 countries who lost citizens in that attack. Lord, bring your comfort and your peace. We pray for your protection that this terror would never happen again. And help us to always remember. We pray in Jesus' name. Lord, we continue to pray. We are thankful to be with you today, gathered around your word and your table. We are listening for your voice. Speak to us and reveal yourself through your scriptures as you have throughout all the generations of your people. Teach us how to live for you and for your kingdom. May we be the light of Christ to the world as you have called us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning we are continuing our series on the Sermon of the Mount called That Sermon. That Sermon is very important to our understanding of Christian living. For almost 250 years the, uh, in the history of the Brethren in Christ Church that we are part of, that sermon has been uh, central to our understanding of how we should live in this kingdom for Jesus as Jesus followers. 
Um, you know, when we come to Christ, we are new creation. And so as new creation people, how do we live? As a new creation community, what does that look like? And the answer to that is largely found right here in this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. That's in Matthew chapter 5 all the way through chapter 7. This is God's kingdom begun. We live in a kingdom of now and not yet. The kingdom began as Jesus came. And that kingdom is revealed in us and in the church of God. And that whole kingdom will finally be completed and fulfilled when Jesus comes back again. And we wait for that and we expect him to come at any time. Amen? So please open your Bible this morning to Matthew chapter 5. We're starting in verse 21. That's Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. You have heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. We want to look at two things in this text this morning. We, there's a problem here, and there's a solution presented. The problem is the danger of anger, and the solution is reconciliation. And so we want to look at those two things, anger and reconciliation. Let's start with the problem. The problem is anger. The problem here is not only just anger in general, but it's anger and what anger can lead to, where it takes us. It can take us to some very unhealthy places, and it can take us to some very dangerous paths. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. You know, anger, when it's not dealt with, it can take on a life of its own. Uh, it can get out of control. Anger is the root of murder. The, um, you'll notice a pattern that starts here, and, and you'll see it over the next few weeks. Uh, there are six of these where Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say. And we'll see that six times over the next couple of weeks. And here he says, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. What's he quoting here? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody ever read the Ten Commandments? <laughs> <laughs> good, a little late, but good. <laughs> yeah, he is quoting the sixth commandment, you shall not commit murder. And uh, these commandments were given to the ancestors of the Jews, as Jesus is referring to here. He says, these were given to our ancestors, but I say something a little different. This is what the law says, but this is what I say. Why does Jesus get to do that? <laughs> 
Why does Jesus get to change the law as it was written? Well, Jesus, as we heard from Pastor Ben last week, Jesus fulfilled the law of God. Jesus embodies everything there is to know about the law of Moses, everything that the law of Moses was intended to teach his people. And uh, Jesus isn't really interested in the letter of the law. He's more interested in the spirit of the law. You know, it's not, you know, how much scripture we can memorize. It's what does that do to your heart? It's the heart that God looks at, isn't it? Jesus wants us to understand why the law said what it said and, and how does that affect our relationship with God and others. And as he's teaching, he's unfolding that for the people. And, and you know, the problem that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, um, that what they had was, was not that they were not good people. These were genuine people who were really trying to serve God with all their hearts. But there was something missing. You know, they were very hung up on a very legalistic application of the letter of the law. And, and Jesus' problem wasn't that they followed the law, but they just didn't really seem to get what it was all about. And therefore, they imposed a lot of religious restrictions, a heavy burden on God's people. And some of those people were sitting there, right there on the side of that mountain with Jesus. Jesus takes us beyond the law. You've heard it said to our ancestors, you shouldn't kill anybody, but that's not going far enough. I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. What happens when we don't deal with our anger? You know, a lot of times we take it and we sort of stuff it down, right? We pretend it's not there, but down underneath the surface, it's, it's burning away. And it's causing damage and it's causing problems. I remember in a, in a high school chemistry class in the chemistry lab, uh, we were burning different chemicals and we, had, we would, had the lights out. We were seeing the color of the flames of the different things as they burned and writing observations. And, and one day we were doing this and they, they turned the lights back on and we extinguished our, our chemicals that we had burning. And, and then about 10 minutes later, a uh, girl next to me is going, <coughs> <laughs> like this, and uh, it turned out that I didn't quite extinguish the chemicals that were burning in my little bowl on the desk, and I had been burning sulfur. Well, sulfur produces a poisonous gas, right? And, and so it's burning away, but with the lights on, we couldn't see it burning, and so we didn't know that it was there, but it was still burning away, and uh, we had to cover it to extinguish it, and to get rid of that poisonous gas. Well, anger is kind of like that. You know, we, we can't always see it burning. It can be seething down below. It can be doing damage where we're not aware of it. Other people around us might be aware of it, but we may not be aware of it ourselves. And uh, instead of dealing with it, as I said, we, we just kind of stuff it down. You know, we say the words, I forgive you, but then we don't really. We hang on to the hurt uh, and hang on to the pain and we hang on to that anger and it makes the damage worse. Jesus says, you know, it's not good enough to just not kill somebody. You know, that's a really low bar. You ever hear somebody say that? You know, I'm a good person. I never killed anybody. Well, whoopee ding dong, most of us haven't done it either. <laughs> that is no standard for morality. That's a pretty low bar. Anger has evil intention. 
often our anger has ill will aimed at other people. And, and when it does, it has to be stopped. It has to be eliminated. It has to be dealt with in an appropriate way. God's standard in Jesus is higher than the law. It's better. It's more important. It's what God intended for his people when he gave them the law in the first place. It's not just about actions. It's not just about reading this is what it says in the Bible and then just going and doing those exact actions. But if our hearts aren't changed, if nothing is going on in here, then we're really missing the boat the same way the Sadducees and the Pharisees did. Jesus isn't criticizing the Old Testament here. He's criticizing the attitude that, that these people had taken on. This attitude that, you know, it's okay if I just do these things. We're pretty lazy as Christians. You ever notice that? We often do the bare minimum that God asks and so we tend to do what they did. We tend to, to do what it says to do, you know? And then we add all these other things. You don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't chew, you don't go with girls who do, you know? And on this, all these rules and regulations that we have that we add on top. You know, we're, but that's the bare minimum. That's the, that's the easy way out. It's very easy to set a rule and then follow the rule. But what about your heart? What's going on inside? What's the spirit behind what's been said. When we don't deal with anger, and when it sits below the surface, and we lip serve the words, I love you, and the words, I forgive you, but we really don't, what happens? Marriages are ended. Friendships get cold. Family gets fragmented. Church fellowship can be a mile wide and an inch deep because it's not real. It's not got any depth to it. Unresolved anger in the life of the believer, in the life of anybody, is a big problem. Uh, you know, I've seen anger like this take a hold of an entire church and destroy it. It's not a pretty sight. Unbelievable things can be done because we're angry. And irreparable damage can be done to relationships. Unresolved anger often works itself out in some kind of revenge. Getting back. Hey, I'll just wait until it's my turn. Until I have the opportunity to get even. You know the story of the Hatfields and the McCoys? You know that story? You know, we joke about it. We say, well, they were feuding like the Hatfields and McCoys, you know? It's become sort of this example of, of two factions that are really angry and hurtful towards each other. But the Hatfields and the McCoys were two real American families. They lived on the opposite side of the Tug Fork, which was a branch of the, the Big Sandy River, and that runs between West Virginia and Kentucky. And they had this feud that lasted for 28 years went from 1863 to 1891. Let's see if we can get this. There's, there it is. There's the picture of the... Oh, I'm going to go back. That's the Hatfield clan. It's a happy-looking bunch, aren't they? Even the kids look mean in that picture. 
You notice his little kid at the right-hand side of the screen, he's got his own gun. And he's got to be about eight, ten years old. You know, they were training them early. Nobody really knows how this feud between these two clans got started. Uh, some think it was about divided loyalties over the Civil War, but most historians today think it was about a pig, that it started about a pig. The McCoy family lived mostly on the Kentucky side of the river. The Hatfields lived mostly on the West Virginia side. And among other things, these groups were both involved in making and selling moonshine. But some of them were hog farmers. And in 1878, Randolph McCoy accused Floyd Hatfield of stealing one of his hogs. He had little notches cut in the ear, and he was able to show, you know, this is, this is what my, my mark is. This is how they... Anyway, they went to trial. And the star testimony was a man named Bill Statton, and he signed it with the Hatfields. Well, the trial went through, and... It went to the Hatfields, but afterwards, Sam McCoy was shot dead. Well, that didn't settle it. In 1882, there were three McCoys, and there were two Hatfields at the election day, and they were at the election booth ready to vote, and they got in a fight with each other. Can you imagine people fighting over an election? Isn't that the stupidest thing you ever heard? <laughs> Man, that's just unbelievable. Well, the result of that fight was that Ellison Hatfield was stabbed 26 times. And, and just to make sure he was dead, they shot him in the back. Back and forth it went. Killing one, killing another. At one point, they tried to kill an entire family by setting fire to their cabin. And the fighting and the killing didn't end until a bunch of them were hanged. By the end of the whole thing, 13 were dead altogether. You know, Jesus suggests to us that anger in our hearts causes us to devalue other human beings, to dehumanize people. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Well, that sounds pretty harsh for you know, just throwing out some words. But raka means stupid or empty-headed. And, and it was like a slanderous thing that one person could, could say about another person. And, and it was actually actionable by court. You could sue somebody just like you could sue today for slander and you could take that person to court for doing that because that kind of speech was prohibited by law. And the word fool that's used here, it would be understood by, in two different ways, depending on whether you were Greek or whether you were Hebrew. If you, had a Hebrew. if you were a Hebrew speaker, you would understand this a little differently. In Greek, it means senseless and foolishness. But in Hebrew, it means moral apostasy, rebellion, and wickedness. Well, those things all have to do with rejecting God and being outside of God's protection and salvation. Remember the Proverbs, the, Proverbs, uh, the proverb that says, uh, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You know, the fool was the one without God. And so that's basically what they're saying about the other person. And, and that kind of judgment, it isn't ours to make. That's God's to make, isn't it? 
And that's why this is so serious. Essentially, it's saying that, that the other person is unsaved and, un, and they're lost and they are deserving of hell. And Jesus is saying, watch out, because of your attitude, you might be the one deserving of hell. He's sort of turning that around. As brothers and sisters in Christ, I guarantee you that holding on to anger will interfere with your relationship, not only with the other person, but often also with God. Anger can take us to places that we don't want to go. Uh, we need to go beyond the letter of the law on these things. In his book, uh, Stride Towards Freedom, Martin Luther King said, to, uh, we need to or we are called to avoid not only violence of deed, but violence of spirit. You ever met anybody who had violence of spirit? I remember meeting a bunch of people who just, you know, they talked, all about, talked about peace all the time, living in peace, but they did it in such a violent manner, it was offensive. You know, they, was, they would just tear you down if you didn't agree note for note with everything they said. It's violent spirit, violent speech. So we've got this problem of anger. What do we do with it? When it's between two people, especially two believers, we need to deal with it. The problem is anger. But the solution is reconciliation. It's our responsibility, you know. Um, God looks at the heart, and the Holy Spirit says to us, hey, look at all that anger in your heart, that bitterness, maybe that hatred that you've been nursing. The Holy Spirit prompts us and is suggesting to us, you need to fix that, and you need to fix that now. You need to fix that now. You ever have the Holy Spirit nudge you to do things like that? You've got a problem. and You need to deal with it. You need to deal with it right now. And so Jesus says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. In other words, get this out of the way so that you can properly worship God with a clean heart, without this burden, without this interference of anger. Sometimes we get so angry that we don't see anything else. You know, I, even my gentle little Scottish grandmother would sometimes say, I'm so angry I could spit. <laughs> you know, we get, we get angry and we, get, we get, hold that in and we just... It builds to a point where you just want to let it go. But we often let it go inappropriately. Remember what the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesians? He said, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. You know, in our lives, we need to deal with footholds before they become strongholds. those places of sin in our lives that just embed themselves. You know, the devil would love to keep you from reconciling. He would love to keep you in a place where you're not able to worship God fully or freely. He would love to ruin your marriage. He would love to ruin your relationships and your Christian fellowship. And he will tempt you to do all of those things. Every hurt, every little slight, 
He'll just push the knife in and twist it. Hang on to that anger. Don't let that go. That's yours. You earned it. And God would say otherwise. Jesus says, stop what you're doing. Even if you're in the middle of worship, stop and fix that. Go deal with that. That's how important it is. And you have to know that for a Jew, there was nothing more important than, than honoring God in those sacrifices at the temple. And Jesus said, it's that important that we need to set that aside. and We need to fix this. And it doesn't matter who's responsible. You make it right. You. Jesus finishes this with another illustration that's along the same line. He, he says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown in prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. You'll notice that in the first example that he uses, the other party may have something against you, and you need to go and make it right. But in this one, it's very clear. You're the one at fault. And, and if you don't fix this, you're going to be the one who's in prison, the one thrown in jail. Now, if you knew that you were going to be thrown in jail, that it was very likely, and you knew that the cause of it was this, this problem between you and another person, wouldn't you try to go and make that right so you don't end up in jail? That's the kind of example this is. You know, even the Hatfields and McCoys, did you know they, they actually made up? A few years later, in 2003, the McCoy cousins, who were descendants of the original McCoys, partnered with, with uh, Rio Hatfield of Waynesboro, Virginia, the other Waynesboro, to declare an official truce between the families. Hatfield said that they wanted to see, and they wanted the world to see, rather, that if they could reach an accord, so could others. Now, here's, here's part of the proclamation that they signed. Let me just read this for you. We ask, by God's grace and love, that we will be forever remembered as those who bound together the hearts of two families to form a family of freedom in America. Pretty amazing stuff. And then, of course, they went on and did Family Feud. I don't know if you ever... It's a famous episode of Family Feud with Richard Dawson where they put the Hatfields on one side and the McCoys on the other. Kind of silly, but, you know, symbolic. They wanted America to know that they had healed their relationship. I remember a, a situation that was a lot closer to home, um, Years ago, I pastored a church in another state. There was a situation where two families who were very close friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, they were separated by a, a terrible accident. And it was an awful thing. And the family that had been hurt so badly and had the loss, they just wanted the other family to apologize, to admit that they made a mistake. And they would forgive. The forgiveness would be granted. But... But the responsible family's lawyers advised against it. They didn't want them to admit any guilt of any kind because they might be liable for it. Well, the injured parties 
They, they just wanted acknowledgement of some kind, that mistakes were made that resulted in harm. But because the guilty party refused, the injured, injured party, they lashed out in anger and they instituted a lawsuit. And that family had to close down their family business and they could have lost everything. The biggest thing they lost was a 30-year relationship with one another. All for the lack of saying the words, please forgive me. Myron Augsburger says, anger wounds others and also warps the spirit of the one immersed in the feeling of wrath or indignation. So what do you do with your anger? How do you deal with your anger? I would suggest that you need to deal with it today. As we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper this morning, for communion this morning, I encourage you to make a decision to seek forgiveness, to give forgiveness. Make a decision to let go of the anger. You know, feelings follow a decision. It's not the other way around. Uh, we say, I just don't feel forgiveness. I just don't feel that I can forgive that person. Well, of course you don't. Because you haven't decided to forgive them. Once you decide, once you make a decision, then along with time, that feeling can follow. First thing I'd encourage you to do is ask God's forgiveness. Forgive me, God, for hanging on to this anger. Doesn't matter how big it is, doesn't matter how small it is, doesn't matter whose fault it is. Often we contribute to the situation, not always, but often. I encourage you to let go of the anger. Leave it on the altar here this morning. I know that's harder than it sounds, but you can ask God to help you. God does not expect for you to deal with this alone. He's with you and he's in you in the Holy Spirit. And he will enable you. If you're serious about dealing with anger, he will enable you to deal with that. You may not be planning murder in your heart, but your anger is causing you problems and maybe causing problems for others. Give it to God. Don't suppress it. Don't stuff it down inside. Give it to God. It may take a while. You may have to bring it to the Lord again and again until it's finally resolved in your own heart. You know, if you'd like somebody to pray with you about that, we'd be happy to stay and pray with you today. Second thing I, I encourage you to do, and I want you to really think about this, is if reconciliation is necessary in a relationship, go and do it. When we're done here today, do your best to reconcile that relationship. Ask forgiveness of the one you've wronged or grant forgiveness to the brother or sister who has wronged you. Again, it's not easy. And it may not even be well-received. But you do your part. That's what God asks of you. And Jesus will bless you. Let's pray together, get ready for communion. Let's offer these things to God in prayer.
Father God, we prepare our hearts by surrendering them to you. Today we surrender our anger and we seek reconciliation. We want to be reconciled to you always. You accomplished the means for that reconciliation on the cross. You reconciled us to yourself through your son Jesus we ask for forgiveness for those things, those times when we have not forgiven others. And we ask for your strength because sometimes we can't do it. We can't do it on our own. But we know that we don't need to. So we ask for your strength. Help us to reconcile any relationships that are broken and need to be restored. And cleanse us from all of our sin. Prepare us now to receive your supper, we commit ourselves anew to follow you. And we give you our whole heart. Lord, hear our silent prayers as we ready ourselves to receive your supper. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayers. I give my heart fully to you. I surrender my will to you. Forgive my sins. Restore me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, empower me to live for you always. I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.